Thanks, Jason, for the, the kind introduction. Highland has been really uh, important in my life. I, uh, it, there were a lot of kind of young couples back in, I guess, 2017 when we got married and all getting married. So I don't know for sure we were the first ceremony, but I do know for sure we were the first couple to meet here in this community. And when I look at what the community here has done in my life, it's huge. Um, introduced me to my wife, walked us through dating, walked us through marriage, bearing with us as we raised four crazy boys. It's, uh, it's a blessing. Sue, thanks again for uh, opening this with our kids. Um, today, we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark by looking at Mark 18, 14 through 21, man of action. And one of the reasons we really like Mark is because it's, it's very direct. Uh, the, the, there's lots of very direct things. It's very easy to understand. But as I look at this, this passage for me has been hard for me to understand this week. There's a very simple piece of it, a very hard piece of it. Before we get started, just take a moment to think to yourself, have you ever just missed it? You know, you're having a conversation with somebody, they're saying one thing, and you completely went over your head. Or maybe you're in a group of people and you couldn't read the room and you just missed it. I think that's how I've felt this week is that I've been missing it. And so as we look at the disciples this week, I've, I've really struggled to say, yeah, that's me. Jesus has been talking a lot about hard-heartedness. He's talked to the crowds. He's talked to the Pharisees. But now he has a moment with his disciples. And what do you know? Um... They don't always, one of the things we see in Scripture, and I'm so glad for the Gospels written by the disciples, and they're vulnerable enough to tell us when they really missed it. And so this is one of those times. Um, but it's got me really thinking today how much I've, I've missed it. Uh, as we continue in Mark, Jesus has just fed 4,000 people from a few loaves and fish and responded to the Pharisees for a request for a sign. If we look at Mark 8, 12 through 13, we were in last week. When he heard this, he said, uh, he's talking to the Pharisees, and they ask for a sign, and then he says, when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit, why did these people keep demanding such a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any sign. So he got back in the boat and left them and crossed to the other side. Last week, Jason challenged us to think about the state of our hearts as we approach Jesus. Do we come to him with our own agendas, with an open notebook? Do we come out of our need and desperation, trade the agenda for the notebook, arguments for confession, trade closed hands for open hands. And that's something the Pharisees didn't bring to Jesus. Because when it comes to Jesus, it matters. It's not just about belief. It's about faith. Faith that the Pharisees weren't even willing to entertain. They didn't have those open hands. So today we're going to look at Mark and answer the question, what next? So if we walk with open hands, then what next? If we open our hearts to Jesus, if we sit in the chair, if we have faith, what next? Today we see a picture of the disciples' response as they followed Jesus in this. But before we jump in, kind of pull back to the context and put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment. He had just spent three days with 4,000 people, teaching them, talking to them, and it's probably safe to assume that those 4,000 people who traveled from all over the place were pretty open to what he had to say. 
They were genuinely seeking the kingdom of God with open hands and soft hearts. And, and Jesus, without being asked for a sign, they weren't asking for it. He fed them all miraculously. He said, these people have been here. They're going to fall over if they go home. He fed them. Then he goes in the boat. He crosses the sea of Galilee, and he happens upon the Pharisees. And he walks in, and they are standing there, and they immediately ask for a sign. It's like, before you enter our town, give us a sign that you are who you say you are. They're immediately closed. So he goes from all these people that are really open to Pharisees that are immediately closed. With emotion, this deep sigh, he gets back in the boat and travels back with an intent to travel across the Sea of Galilee. So he just sailed across the sea. He had a short interchange with the Pharisees, so short that he just turned around, got back on the boat, and left. All right. So if I'm in his shoes, it's been a... It's been a rough few days. And then the disciples. And one of the things we see in Scripture is the disciples um, don't always get it the first time, very much like us. Picture Jesus now, the, the, the day that he had with the Pharisees, he gets back in the boat, probably frustrated, sits down, and we pick up in verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Let's pray. Father God, as we open this, as, as we look at the scripture today, as we look at the interaction Jesus had with the disciples and their response, I just pray that you'll open our hearts. I've really struggled with opening my heart to what you have to say this week. I pray that you will miraculously draw us to you, Father, through this time. Please eliminate all distractions, and please help us hear what you would have us hear today. There's a lot of great stuff here, but let's look at the summary first. I mean, in short, the disciples just missed it. I mean, they really missed it, like by a mile. They were so distracted by the bread thing that they missed that Jesus has something important to say thing. If you hang around our family, you'll hear Katie or I uh, occasionally yell, squirrel. Some of our reach group may have heard this, and it, feel, it sounds really odd, um, but it's kind of become a thing in our family. It comes from the movie Up. So if you've ever seen the movie Up, there's a talking dog. He has a collar that allows him to talk. And, and so he gets up and talks, rambles a little bit, but occasionally in the middle of a sentence, he'll yell out, squirrel. Sees so a squirrel off to the side, it distracts the dog, and so the dog's saying everything that he thinks. And so squirrel is a kind way in our house, kind of a kind way, um, when we're talking to one another, and that person is obviously not paying attention, we, we look at them, we very gently and kindly yell, squirrel, right in their face, and it kind of brings them back without, at, at the same time, usually, usually not making them mad. 
We deal with a lot of distraction in our house due to the age of our kids. I have a friend who has a girl and a boy, and he has shared with me, and he may have got this from somewhere, I don't know, but I thought it was interesting. He shared with me that he's seen differences in the way his girl and his boy interact, and the way girls and boys in general interact. He said when he's talking to his girls, it's like there's a, a, a satellite on their head. Like she can be looking in one direction, but still listening to something that he's saying, or listening to him, but still fully aware of the conversation over here. It's kind of like this this uh, satellite that's always listening, always kind of aware of what's going on. But with his little boys, he said, it, it's like a pipe. And if that pipe isn't pointed to you, there's nothing going in. No attention, all distraction, they're going to be looking right at you. And so we've seen that a lot in our house. In fact, I've learned that if the boys are watching TV or something and I have something very short, very important to say, I have to stand in front of them, get in front of the pipe, and speak directly at them. But it's interesting, actually, if I, if I stand in front of them uh, too long, then their eyes, like, start going off to the side like this. Because I'm standing in front of the TV, and their eyes kind of start going here. Like, they're going to look around me uh, by moving their eyes. And if I stand there long enough, their cheeks kind of start going this way, too. And then the head, it's like a little twitch. And so they think that, but they think if they do it really slowly, maybe I won't notice. But they're not looking at me, and they're trying to get back to the TV. We're so easily distracted. And that's one of the things that I thought about when I saw this because that's a big part of our lives. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of what happened with the disciples. That there's only, they're talking about there's only one loaf of bread on this boat. And Jesus has been thinking about this, this experience he's had with the disciples, or excuse me, with the Pharisees. Um, I get the picture that they, you know, he says, don't be like that to his disciples. Please, don't be like the Pharisees. And I kind of feel like maybe the disciples are looking at him, trying to make sure they're listening, and it's that attention span, you know. Oh, yeah, but who forgot to bring the bread? I mean, that's really how it went. They're arguing about bread. Jesus says, don't be like the, the Pharisees. And then they started arguing about who forgot to bring dinner. I don't know what Jesus did, but I sure would have kind of dropped my head in my hands. I mean, you saw how close the Pharisees were. The, the disciples saw how close the Pharisees were. Before that, he fed 4,000 people. There's maybe 250 people in this room. I mean, this, the, the max occupancy in this space is, is 315 or 350 or something like that. He fed 4,000 people from seven loaves. We just saw... And so they knew he could take care of this. And Jesus is thinking, we just saw some of the people he was sent by the God of the universe to save completely closed off and unwilling to hear. So why is the number of loaves of bread we have on this boat actually an issue? They missed it. It's kind of funny, kind of sad, but the way we see Jesus responds is that this is serious. I mean, it, it is a little humorous if you look at it from the outside. They're, they're easily distracted. We're all easily distracted. But having our attention distracted from Jesus, from his kingdom, it's more than just a distraction. Something I have come face-to-face -face with in preparing for this morning is that being for di distracted from Jesus, even by my own very valid personal needs, is indicative of a heart that's not soft, maybe a heart that's a little hard, and a Christ follower, a heart that misses it, missing Jesus and the path that he's walking around us. 
Now, I'm not saying this is like Pharisees or, or, the, um, or Pharaoh back in the Old Testament where the hardened heart allowed no belief, but there is a bit of a hardening of heart that allows them to not see what God is doing. I may have shared something, I may have shared this before, but one of the early formative moments in my career, um, actually in my young life, in my career, um, I was talking with my, job, with my dad about leaving a job because I was frustrated, and I said something to the effect of, I just, I want to know what, what God has for me, what job God has for me, where am I supposed to be? And my dad kind of took a pause, and I've always remembered this, and he said to me, Joel, maybe God doesn't care what job you have. And I, you know, that kind of blew my mind because I'm young. I'm thinking God, you know, that God cares about that. I care about that. Surely God cares about that. It's not that God didn't care. But his point, what he said to me is maybe God doesn't really care what job you have. Maybe he cares what are you serving? How are you plugging into his purpose? Are you serving him wherever you're at? See, it wasn't about my job that was important. It was about God's purpose. Last week... Jason shared with us this picture of the chair. I don't know if you remember this. I mean, it's last week. If you're here, I hope you remember this. Um, If you weren't here, um, the idea of belief versus faith. I may believe that this chair will hold me. I may talk about how strong the chair is. It's made out of metal. You know, it's got the little things on it that's not going to allow it to move. I can talk about it all day long. But until I actually sit in the chair, that's faith. If I sit in the chair, it holds me. Talking about the chair is belief. Sitting in the chair is faith. And so one of the things that we see here, if there's one thing that I want you to hear today, the encouragement for us as Christ followers is stay in the chair. Don't get up and look at dinner at your job, what's going on, stay in the chair. What we see with the disciples here in Mark is that as they left, um, I wrote this down, Dalmanathua, as they left the place where the Pharisees were, they probably recognized the weight of unbelief in the Pharisees. They thought, yeah, we see that. We see that their hearts are hard. Yet they still walk on board, and the one thing that's on their mind is what's for dinner. I got to think about that. I got to take care of that. There's an idea here, we've talked about a highland around the upper story and the lower story. And, and it's, it's the two differing perspectives the perspect- that we can choose in our life. Either this natural, earthly perspective, what's, real, what's going on from our perspective, day-to-day life, or God's perspective in it all, the upper story. The perspective of Jesus in this, in this passage is one that... The leaven of the Pharisees, the self-centeredness of their demands is dangerous. And two, that he can supply all of their needs. And yet the perspective, and, and that's sitting in faith. Yet the perspective of the disciples is they're up asking what's for dinner. And they forgot to bring bread. The distraction from the work of God, and in general this type of missing it, is at its root a heart issue. We're not just called to live our life. We are called to his purpose, his kingdom as we live our life. That's what it means to live by faith. That's what it means to stay in the chair. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So we stay in the chair. 
We don't get up to go look for a, a better job. We don't get up to worry about what we're going to eat. Those are all good things, but stay in the chair. What is God's upper story? The Lord's purpose will prevail. Are we willing to be a part of that? In doing so, we have this confidence, Romans 8, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with with groaning that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So we stay in the chair. So if the disciples had been listening, let's step into the next piece. If they had been listening, what would they have heard? What was Jesus trying to get them to hear? Let's look again at verse 15. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. We see leaven used multiple times throughout the scripture to paint pictures of of influence. Leaven is a substance typically used that is added in small quantities in in bread baking that affects the shape and the flavor. I, I know nothing about making bread, so I had to look it up. Google was my friend. And so this may be obvious to you, but I didn't know, so I'm going to tell you. Water breaks down, uh, excuse me, uh, leaven, or yeast as we would call it, is added along with three other ingredients, water, flour, and salt, to make a basic dough. Water breaks down the flour into these simple sugars, which yeast then consumes. Yeast does most of its work in the dough before anything else happens. It sits there for like an hour and a half and essentially ferments the dough. The, The yeast is eating and excrementing and all those sorts of things over multiple hours. And then the dough is folded, it goes through a couple of stages and that sort of thing. So it takes multiple hours before it gets baked. And then it does a little work while it's baking, but the yeast is eventually killed when the oven hits 140 degrees. So this little bit of yeast is fermenting the whole dough. Many times in the church, we hear of unleavened bread when we take communion or or Passover. In the Old Testament, when Moses and the Israelites left Egypt, they were instructed to make unleavened bread because they wouldn't have those hours to sit around and let the bread rise or let the dough form. They didn't have time to let it sit around and ferment. By contrast to what I described, when you make unleavened bread, you just mix up three ingredients, water, flour, and salt, and you throw it in the oven and bake it. You don't let it sit or take that time. Luke 13, 20 through 21 is one of Jesus' shortest parables, and it's essentially a picture of the kingdom of God, and it talks about leaven. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. The idea, the idea, the idea here comes directly after the parable of the mustard seed that the kingdom starts small and leavens the whole loaf. To give you perspective, if you're baking a loaf of bread, you're looking at about four four cups of flour, enough to fill two water bottles thereabouts, um, to one or two teaspoons of yeast, of leaven. It's just a little bit. But in four cups of flour, it ferments the whole dough. The idea being is it changes the whole loaf. That's what the kingdom does. But most of the time when we hear about yeast, it's actually used in the context of something bad. 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through 7. 
they're talking about sin in the church. And um, he says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you recognize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing that wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So here, Paul is calling them to cut out the old leaven that affects the dough, or else it's going to change and affect the entire church. So back to our passage in Mark, what, what exactly is the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod that Christ is warning against? For the most part, it's everything we saw in the, in the, the Pharisees' behavior last week. Um, so if you're here last week, you get it. If you weren't here, I've got a verse in Mark that I'm just going to read, that, or excuse me, in Luke. Uh, Meanwhile, the crowds grew up until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. There it is, plain as day, the yeast of the Pharisees is their hypocrisy. Their pretense to love God, but to only love themselves, their agenda, as we heard about last week. So what is the yeast of Herod? Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Herod the Great was raised as a Jew, but was ultimately beholden to Rome, and so acted like Roman, probably not even pretending uh, to act like the Pharisees. His son was Herod Antipas, and we don't know for certain whether or not he was raised Jewish. He was familiar with the Jewish customs. What we do know is that he served himself rather than God. Herod Antipas divorced his first wife to marry Herodias, the former wife of his half-brother. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and of course prepared the way for Jesus, um, spoke out against this arrangement. John the Baptist was arrested because he spoke out against Herod Antipas doing whatever he wanted and eventually beheaded. So we see in the Pharisees and in Herod, even though one is pretending in their hypocrisy and one is just blatantly doing whatever they want, a, a common theme, focus on self. The Pharisees were focused on self-reliance, relying on their own actions to save them. As, Jesus, or as, J- as Jason said last week, their agenda rather than Jesus in order to show and dictate how good they were. Herod was blatantly self-centered, focused on doing what he wanted and pleasing himself, literally beheading those who spoke out against him. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod Antipas was basically saying, beware of hypocrisy, self-centeredness, and self-reliance. And what's so interesting and convicting to me here is as he was trying to say this, the disciples were focused on themselves. They were focused on the fact that they hadn't brought enough bread, that they were hungry. What are they going to do? Beware of self-reliance, self-centeredness, and self-focus. That's the call to us. Just a little bit of those things like yeast, can affect and ruin our person, our families, and our church. It's important. Let's finish finish our our conversation and, and kind of step into looking at how Jesus responds. So they missed it. He was trying to tell them something important. How did he respond? We don't see in Jesus... Well, let's read it first, and then I'll talk to it. Uh, Mark 16, Mark 8, 16. As they began to argue with each other because they hadn't, at this, as at his comment on use to the Pharisees, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. 
Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or even understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Do you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. When I fed the 4,000 with seven loads, how many large baskets did I pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he said. We've seen Jesus' emotion throughout different points in Mark. And on the heels of this deep sigh against the Pharisees, he really doesn't pull any punches. The words that he says, no matter how quietly or strong, are your hearts too hard to take it in? Can't you see? Can't you hear? If Jesus was standing in front of me and said that, I would crumble. Are your hearts too hard? But beyond that, the can't you see and can't you hear actually had even deeper meaning for the disciples because they were raised in a Jewish culture. Jeremiah 5.21. So this is when, uh, this is the prophet Jeremiah warning um, Israel and Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. This warning was issued as a decree to God's people to not abandon him. Unfortunately, we know that he did. And they were consequently conquered and enslaved by other nations. Jesus is essentially asking his disciples, are you as blind and as deaf as the Israelites of old who abandoned me and were enslaved? I do want to focus on the hard heart comment specifically because it tells us something important. And this is not the only time we see the words hardened heart or less than soft hearts. It's not the only gospel in relation to the disciples. He is warning his disciples, his followers, he is warning Christ's followers, not at this point Pharisees or people who rejected him. He is warning Christ's followers to not allow their hearts to be hardened. And this was not the first time the disciples have hard hearts, nor would it be the last. And keep in mind, this is the disciples writing the Gospels, so they're being open with us about where they were at the time. Two chapters earlier, Jesus walks on the water. So if you're familiar with the story, Jesus is is sleeping um, on shore. The disciples are out in a boat. A huge storm comes. They don't know what to do. And Jesus is walking across them to the water, walking across them on the water. Um, Verse 51, Mark 6, 51. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000 at that point. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. He walked across the water, kind of like Jason said last week about um, a generation asks for a sign. Jesus walked across the water, and their hearts were still too hard to take in who he really was. They didn't understand who was right in front of them. Even after Jesus is raised from the dead, we see in Luke on the road to Emmaus that he meets two disciples and they don't recognize him. And he starts to talk with them about this whole plan that God has from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he calls them foolish and slow of heart. In multiple gospel accounts, their inability to realize his return is attributed to their hearts and the hardness of their hearts, even though they were his disciples. 
Now, it's easy to look at them. It's harder to look at us. And this is why I've really struggled with this passage this week, is because the hardness of, because what we see here is not those people who don't believe, those people who didn't accept Jesus, the Pharisees. What we see here is Jesus saying some very strong words to his followers. And as I examine my own life, I see it in my own life. There are times when my heart becomes hard, when I can't hear the upper story, when I can't see the upper story because I'm not following Jesus. I'm not sitting in the chair. I've gotten distracted. I'm looking around at how to get food, how to take care of my family, how to raise my kids, all very good things. But, but I miss it when I'm not sitting in the chair. It, actually, if you look at the disciples, we have a level of encouragement because throughout the entire ministry of Jesus, his disciples only saw the lower story, even through the resurrection. They missed the upper story. They missed what God was doing. They didn't, but, but the encouragement to us is that after the Holy Spirit came, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they got it. Their heart, they opened their hearts, and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. There is hope if you're feeling that you may have a hard heart today. So a question for you. One of the ways we can kind of determine, are, do we have hard hearts, is do you see God working? And the reason this is a question to ask is because we know that regardless of whether we see it or not, God is working. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. We believe that God is knowing, it is all powerful, that he is God. Therefore, what he plans will come to pass with or without us. Because he loves us, he has called us into his plan and to his purpose for our good. It's about his agenda, not ours. He is working whether we see it or not. And so one of my questions for us today is, do we see it? Are our hearts soft? Do we see him working? Do we hear his plan? Or do we only see the bread in the boat? This hard-heartedness is how the disciples missed it. It's why they were arguing about dinner when Jesus is warning of a real danger to their souls. I want to be clear. It's not sinning. It's not wrong to think about planning for your next meal. Or where's my job going to come from? Or how do I raise my kids? What, what school do I go to? What college do I go to? But in light of what Jesus had already shown them, he had shown them that he would provide, it was an act of unbelief. Another question we can ask ourselves is, what concerns you? What concerns us? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that he, if he clothes, clothes the lilies and clothes as fine as those and feeds the birds of the air, how much more so will he take care of our needs? How much more so will he clothe and feed us? Whom he loves deeply. Like the disciples, are we concerned with things of this world, valid though they may be, or are we trusting God? And I don't want to minimize anything that you're going through right now, because there are times of hardship. But 
Are we only sitting in the chair when things get hard? Or are we always in the chair aware of what God is doing around us? I can personally attest to you that this is not always my natural state. Um, I work for Mission Health in town. Uh, I'm an IT guy, essentially there, and, and a technology guy. And many of you may have heard that they're under due diligence to be acquired by HCA, which is a large hospital, um, a large healthcare organization based out of Nashville. And so the company that I work for is going to be employed. And um, the stuff I'm saying is all in the paper, so you can go read it. Um, one of the things that's been published in the paper is that, you know, when they start asking, what is that going to mean for the people who have jobs here? And uh, one of the things that uh, was said in the paper is well, probably nothing for the clinical staff. I mean, we still have to take care of patients. That's what we do. Um, but one of the things that HCA is interested in bringing to Mission Health is economies of scale. You know, purchasing medical supplies, purchasing medicine, because they, they're so much bigger, they can do that more effect, cost effectively. Um, and they can also do non-clinical things, back office functions, like IT, much more efficiently. In other words, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> There's lots of reading between the lines. You can go read the papers, and, and they've got a whole website and everything. But it's caused lots of people to have questions, and we don't know. But I have found myself with a choice every week as I wake up and go to work. Am I acting? Am I taking action to act in a way that ensures my family is safe and that my career is good and that my job is not in danger or that I have a job? Or do I trust God to take care of our needs? Do I look to God? Do, do I go into work and say, God, what are you doing? It's a question I ask myself. I, it, it varies week to week because honestly, sometimes I want to get up and go. I'm a doer. But if I'm in line with God's purpose, He has said He will take care of us. And He has a purpose for us now, He has a purpose for me now. Faith is sitting in the chair. The walk of a Christ follower is actually staying in the chair. Not about being distracted and getting up and going to look at the bread and arguing about what bread we have. And You get it, right? I've said it a hundred times. Stay in the chair. Stay in faith. So, a band, you can come on up. So the question, a couple of questions for us today. And this is one of those messages where it's, it's really tailored towards those of us that are Christ followers. But I want to take a moment and say, if you aren't a Christ follower, if you don't know Jesus, it, you've heard today what, what the ask is. Come to Jesus with open hands. Believe in him in faith. And he does it. He does the work. He changes us. But for those of us that are Christ followers, I have some questions. Are you staying in the chair? Has self-reliance like the Pharisees crept in and begun to ferment in our lives? This focus on self, self-centeredness, self-reliance. The things that Jesus warned about again and again and again. They're very dangerous to us. Do you feel that your heart is maybe not soft? Maybe even a little hard? 
because you don't see him working. You don't see the upper story. It's actually okay if you're realizing that. It's good. Everyone, every person on this earth, every person who follows Jesus is vulnerable to this. Church people, pastors, elders, Billy Graham before he passed away is vulnerable to this. But don't just stay there. The analogy we have of faith is staying in the chair. Scripture speaks of faith as simply following Jesus. So why don't we just begin? So the so, so point is, we don't begin to follow Jesus and then stop. We don't get out of the chair. We're always following. We keep following. And we'll look closer at this in mid-July, but the encouragement that we get at the end of chapter 8 is this. We're talking about this hard-heartedness, and there's a huge encouragement at the end of chapter 8. Mark 8, 34 through 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Follow me, your life will be saved. Don't run around trying to save your life. Are we distracted, self-reliant with a hardened heart? If so, it's as simple as follow Jesus. Following Jesus means to live how he lived. You'll actually see the banners around the room, and I don't know if we have the bell slide. Um, At Highland, we feel deeply that there are very that following Jesus is simple. There are very practical things that we can do, but ultimately it's following whatever he's calling in our lives. But maybe you say, I, my heart is a little hard. What are some practical ways that I can follow him? Because I don't hear him really well right now. We have an analogy for that. It's actually in the back, bells. So if you want to remember it, bells, uh, B for bless, bless someone. E for eat. Eat with someone. We saw Jesus doing that a lot. L, learn. Learn. Open his word. Learn about Jesus. L, listen. Spend time in prayer. Listening to Jesus. And then S, bells, is to live sent. To live in a sent way. These are very simple, practical things we can do to follow Jesus. And so if you're not hearing him now, these are things that are rooted in scripture that you can do to help follow him, and he will soften your heart. As we follow him, Jesus will do it. He will focus us from our distractions. He will teach us how to rely on him rather than ourselves. He does it, and he will soften our hearts. Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and forgive us from all unrighteousness. He loves us deeply. He died for us, and he wants us to truly live. In just a moment, we're going to close. But please take some time here as the band comes to examine your heart. Is there anything you want to confess? When you're ready, we're going to take communion. And during this time, we invite those that are Christ followers to say yes again to Jesus by remembering his death on the cross, his body broken for us by the bread. His blood shed for us by the juice. It's one of the ways that we try to stay in the chair. Let's pray.
Father God, I, I thank you for the very direct words that we have recorded to the disciples because they echo through thousands of years to us today. And they teach us, and, and Father, your words to us may, may be strong, but they're for our good. And they show us how much you love us. And we have this hope, Lord, that you are making all things new, that you are doing that in our hearts. Thank you for promising to soften our hearts if we simply follow you. Father, this, th there's lots of things here around, self, uh, around the leaven of the Pharisees, Lord, and, and, um, and distraction. And so I don't know what you're speaking to the hearts in this room, but Lord, that I, I, I do pray that you will speak gently but clearly. Show us ourselves that we may follow you better. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. We remember him today as we take your communion. Father, thank you. May everything we say and do glorify you. In Jesus' name.